welcome to another episode of Normal with Autism. We are walking with faith on this side of the spectrum, and we are the podcast that invites you to the kitchen table to experience the joy in the journey. I'm Tara. I'm Sarah. Hello, friend. Hey, man. I can see that you are in your uh, recording studio extraordinaire. My closet. Yes, your beautiful closet <clears throat> with your beautiful vintage dresses. There they are. I got two more today. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, so um, not to kind of drag things out, but it's um, it's kind of been a heavy, uh, heavy couple of days, huh? Uh, yeah, sure has. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, we, it's even kind of hard to come up with the words, I think, of of what our nation in general has been experiencing. Um, And now we're going into, I think, to week number two of all of our unrest and and the trauma we've experienced. Um, And um, it's just, it's been an interesting um, intense, crazy time. We're here in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we're talking about um, the murder of George Floyd, um, also Ahmaud Aubrey, and um, Breonna Taylor. Um, just those three names have come at us in the last couple of weeks. And um, it's it's just kind of beyond words, I think, what we're experiencing and what we're living through right now. And so I just want to kind of take a minute and acknowledge that um, I know, Sarah, normally you and I are talking and um, we're kind of joking around and having a good time. Um, it's been kind of hard to find the the joy and the happiness lately because we see so many of our black brothers and sisters who are suffering right now. Um, yes. And... So I just, I really want to acknowledge that and just kind of take a minute with that. Deep breath. Yeah. It's, um, it's one of those times that it feels like nothing's ever going to be okay again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're never going to laugh again. We're never going to feel happiness again. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, it's a weird it's a weird time, a weird feeling. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but I am I am finding joy in the change that is happening. Um, there's already changes. You know, people are coming together. Police departments are changing their policies. There's dialogue. People are changing their minds about long-held beliefs. People are, you know, researching and reading books and looking into themselves and trying to change. And I do find a lot of joy and hope in that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also trying to avoid as much um, negativity as I can just for my own mental health. Yes. Um, I'm not, I started out like arguing with people and then I, you know, there's just some people that don't get it and they're not going to. Yes. Um, so I've had to make a decision on, 
you know, how best to channel my energy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did that by deactivating my Facebook page. (laughs) Um, I don't, I don't know. It's just such a, I want to help Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I want to make a difference Mm -hmm. and I want to be there for, you know, our black friends and black brothers and sisters that are hurting and have been hurting for so long. Mm -hmm. And it feels like it's not, it's not enough. Like there's so much hurt out there. Like what can I do as one person to help? I don't know. Well, I think you bring up a um, common question that I think probably a lot of white folks are starting to wake up to is um, how can we help? What can we do? How can we be? Um, And I have been following and I started the work recently in a book called Me and White Supremacy um, by Layla Saad, S-A-A-D. And you can find her on Instagram. We'll make sure we put it in show notes. Um, One of the things that she, well, there are two kind of things that have hit me so far and printed on me as I've been doing some work of hers, um, is she said, you're not doing this work to be a good white person. Mm -hmm. You know, that your inherent goodness is not, you know, what the the goal of this work. This isn't like self-development and that kind of thing. It's to do the work for a bigger better um a bigger better dream of making our country whole and and making it actually live up to the ideals that it was trying to be founded on um and the other thing she said is that it's important to center black voices and it's important to center um black indigenous people of color and their voices and their stories um and it's time it's time for white folks to sit back and listen and, and learn and do the work yeah. Um, so having said all of that, uh, we were very lucky because we went, um, looking and we had a lovely lady say, of course, I'll come talk to you. And I have no idea who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and her name is Camille Proctor. She is the executive director of the color of autism foundation. And so we welcome you Camille to the podcast. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. I mean, Thank you so much. I, thanks we're, for coming when, on. I know when you. I just have to know when you got Sarah's email. Were you like, uh, or is this something normal? But you're like, oh yeah, no, people no, contact. I've me. had a lot of. So I've had a lot of Sarahs in my inbox as of late. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hers was one that I actually entertained. Okay. Oh. And, and, and the reason I say that is because, like, for the past few days, so I live in the suburbs of Detroit. I live in a city called Birmingham, Michigan, and it's not that eclectic. It's like, um, I don't know. Uh, it's I want to say it's like old money mixed with new money, like that type of situation. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, my son and I, we take these three-mile walks or two-and-a-half to three-mile walks every day. And so I've had all my white neighbors kind of awkwardly look at me. <laughs> and, and and but I'm also happy to see all the signs that say hate doesn't live here and black lives matter and all these other things and then yesterday I was on the phone and the person that I was talking to was listening in and she was just cackling because this couple this older white couple came up to me and they go 
it's just terrible what's going on. And awkwardly, I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, well, yeah. sorry, you know, the um, head provocateur is at the White House. So if he says mm-hmm. it's okay, it's okay to, to do so. Um and they're like, yeah, that's just terrible. And I'm like, mm-hmm, it's, it's quite bad, sir and ma'am. I'm like, that's all I can say, you know. I, and I did say to them, I said, I wish that people would really separate out the protesters versus the looters and the provocateurs mm-hmm. because protesters, they're not the violent people. Mm-hmm. And I've, and what's made me sad is that I've seen people get pepper sprayed and batoned and all that stuff for just standing there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a lot to take in. So... Yeah, I mean, and then I get emails from people and everybody wants to help. And so usually what I say to them in my response, I say, you know, here's what you really need to do. In order to forge change, you have to do where you guys started off this conversation. You kind of have to step back and, um, well, first you got to ask, how can you help? And then you have to kind of step back and look at the bigger picture, you know, and ask, ask your friends of color, say, hey, you know, what, what's important to you and how, what's the best way for me to help you? Most of them will say, when you see something that doesn't look right, you need to call it out. I think for so many years, we've all been complacent to the fact where you're like, you watched the news and you, you knew that Trayvon Martin was just minding his own business. Mm-hmm. You know, you knew that um, you, you, the kid in Cincinnati, you know, that had the toy gun, you knew he was just a kid with a toy gun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but no one really said anything. It's like, you know, no one outside of the black community. So the best way to help me um, is, is really to, to make a difference, to speak out, to contact your congressmen, your representatives, and let them know, hey, this isn't cool. I mean, you have to make change. I pay your salary. You need to be voting on things that is going to unify my community, my country, because I don't want my kids exposed to this type of hate, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's how you make a difference, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, very well said. And and in addition to that, uh, you know, you're talking about starting to get civically involved and civically active and reaching out to the people who represent us. Um, and your you actually started a foundation again, mm-hmm. the Color of Autism Foundation. Um, before we talk about that good work, can you introduce us to your kind of inspiration for? Well, he's somewhere and he's not coming back, but his name <laughs> <laughs> he's not coming back. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, his name is Ari. He's fourteen years old. Uh, he is what I like to call an interloper. So he's like middle of the road, he's verbal, but he's kind of chill. So it's in regard, he's autistic and he's kind of chill. So that's misleading to a lot of people because he's just kind of like, ah, whatever, okay, what? Oh, a girl, oh yeah, I'll do it. And you got chicken, you got chicken, chicken and girl. That's all you need for him. He doesn't need much else. And the ability to watch trucks on YouTube and what he does too, his favorite, one of his favorite pastimes is watching trucks on YouTube, um, watching some guy that goes drives down the highway. And I think he does it specifically for kids on a spectrum where he calls off everything on I-75, a oh truck driver. Goodness. 
and um that and so those are his you know his that those are his things and he's cool you know Mm -hmm. doesn't take much to satisfy him um yeah but he was my inspiration definitely so he is he is 14 years old um Mm -hmm. and later on you're gonna have to give us some wisdom of what it's like to have an autistic teenager especially for us folks who have maybe some younger kids <laughs> I, you know I, I can't really give any advice because there's a lot of things that are going on with him I just don't want to know about I'm sorry <laughs> I don't want to know about it I, I, agree. I just act like I, I don't want to know about it you know, uh, so far I haven't had a lot of problems with him but I just think that's because of just that's how he is he's not aggressive he's not self-injurious um so it's a little bit easier for me, you know, um, he doesn't have a lot of anxiety. He has a little bit of anxiety, you know, he used to, you know, um, bite his wrist or his fingers and mm-hmm. he had, so he's gotten, he's gotten away from that. But, um, yeah, he's pretty chill for the most part. Um, he's really ridiculous more than anything <laughs> else. And I don't mean, <laughs> he's just, he's 14. I mean, <laughs> Just, just ridiculous. Yes. Well, your nonprofit, you started it in 2009. And can you tell us kind of some of the story behind what prompted you? Well, sure. So part of the story of what got me started is that in 2008, I finally got someone to say that Ari had autism because it was hard. I knew that he was delayed. So I saw the tiptoe walk and I saw the flapping. I, you know, I, I, he had the delayed speech. He didn't, you know, he didn't walk until he was like almost 15 months. So I saw all of these things and I was just kind of blown off that he was just delayed by pediatricians, you know, and by the general public who love the, to, to say that boys are delayed and everything, you know, and, um, I think that men are aloof, but they're not delayed mm. <laughs> everything. Yes. Uh, you know, and so after I finally, I mean, I did everything to find out. I'm like, what is wrong with this kid? What is wrong? So I took him to a genetic doctor who I'm tested him and she called me back after she got the results. And she said he has 47 chromosomes as opposed to 46, if I'm saying it right, which is one over. It's not fragile X. It's not this, but in my opinion, most of my patients who have 47 fall on the autism spectrum. Hmm. And I know a lot of people don't get their kids genetic tested. Uh-huh. Um, so so um, she got me in to see her uh, friend who was a developmental pediatrician. And, and I learned two things, that Ari had autism. And the second thing was, is that the gibberish I thought he was speaking was actually German. What? Oh, oh my goodness. Where how did where did that come from? Because you know, kids on the spectrum like to look at videos in foreign languages. Yes. Is oh there... my gosh, I thought that was just Owen. No. It's a thing. What so what? do you can you say more about that? Like what That's all I know. know. It's just <laughs> it's just a thing. I well Finn the the re I'm like, wow, Finn loves Spanish. Like oh, anything right. in Spanish that comes up, he's all about it. All right, well, work with that. Cause <laughs> no, just work with it. Oh yeah, now Ari's in the Spanish. So one of the problems that I have now with him, he doesn't articulate English very well mm. because it's not his preferred language. He likes Spanish. But the thing about children, wow. 
in words and speaking English speaking countries we're like almost dead last to actually our kids are almost dead last to speak in the first place even for typical um the language is difficult so hmm. a lot of people don't know that too mm-hmm. um but yeah i um the the journey to where i got was simply you know i, I noticed that a lot of people didn't know a lot about autism I would go into places like Macy's and I didn't know anything about sensory overload. So I'm in Macy's, I'm trying to shop. This kid's in the stroller, ah, losing it, losing it, right? So I got, well, I almost got into a lot of fights. I gotta tell you this one, <laughs> full disclaimer. Um, I'm gonna give you the clean version of both these stories. So <laughs> I'm in Macy's and this sales lady is like, he needs his butt whoops. Mm-mm. And all I know, my daughter said I went, so I have two kids, just full disclaimer. My son is called Baby Surprise because my daughter's 20 years older than him. So we're in Macy's and she said, my daughter said I levitated like Jackie Chan over, <laughs> over, over this rack. And she had to stop me from killing this lady. Wow. And that was one instance. And the lady was African-American. So she, you know, that's, that's how we deal with everything. If you're a disobedient child, you know, it, it, and it, and it's bad. And that, that even comes from um, slavery. It's like you, 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 you find these behaviors and you recreate spanking, you know, whipping stuff like that. So, you know, that was one thing. And then there was an incident where my daughter wasn't around to save this lady, the next person, but I didn't do anything. Um, I was in a grocery store and this little old lady said, Ooh, that's terrible. He's making all this noise. He needs to just shut up. I said, ma'am, I don't hit old ladies, but when you tell me <laughs> to strike my child, you've upgraded to old bat and I'll slap an old bat. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. I love you. So, you my friends. At that point, I realized, okay, you, you, if, if you're in jail, who's going to take care? Like you can't be in jail. So I had to like adjust my way of just, and then I realized that the, the, I realized a couple things, you know, when you get that diagnosis, you start to realize, you start to see other behaviors of other children. And you know that those children are on the spectrum, that sharp squeal, you hear that squeal, you, mm -hmm. like immediately you're like. And you see these parents that have no clue, right? And so in order for me to stay out of jail, I came up with this ideal to start a profit so that um, I could better educate um, African-Americans about autism. And the other reason I started it, ironically, is because what we're going through now. So I would go to support groups and I would be the only African-American there and of course you get just bombarded with the person is gluten-free this and gluten. it's just overwhelming when you first get that diagnosis between support groups people not knowing what the heck they're talking about in google you're about to lose your mind right mm -hmm. and i'd sit in these support groups and when i would have a question it was like i was being debbie downer I'd say to them, so what's going to happen when my son gets older? Because he was an eloper for a little bit, 
you know, he liked to take his leisurely strolls out of the house because that's, you know, he had somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. Luckily, he had a fat dog that would knock him down and sit on him <laughs> until we could find him. But the point is, I'd say that, well, what's going to happen when he's like 14 and he's six feet tall? And if he doesn't, if he's still not able to talk and he can't articulate what it means to yield, he's going to get killed. Oh no, that would never happen. Why would you say something like that? He's not, I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm were sorry. Those, were those mostly white voices you were hearing from? They were to all say- white voices because it was just yeah. me. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. and they didn't understand because they don't, they didn't understand that we live in two Americas, you know, and my son's reality is different than someone else's reality. You know, and I've had people, parents i've had a lot of people say you know at, at some point and i try to steer away from telling people what therapy they should have but i know i i told some people african-american families you know you do need aba and a lot of people hate aba because it's um it is it's, it's robotic but here's the deal about aba and this is just my opinion african-american children don't have the luxury of not being a, able to self-regulate because if you're a big old dude and you're out in the middle of wherever and your anxiety is like on a hundred and you start freaking out, not because you're weird, because you're overwhelmed. So if you're, if you don't have a way of talking yourself off the cliff, you know, by saying, wait a minute, let me count, let me do whatever works for you. Then Again, we have a scenario where the cops are going to be called on you. If you're out pacing, like a black kid can't be out pacing and doing stuff. That's part of being autistic. And not every autistic does it, but whatever. They can't do that. So I I tell people, okay, so yeah, ABA, you don't have to do it for your whole life, but you do need a set of standards, right? Every morning, we know we need to get up, brush our teeth, take a shower, right? That's ABA. <laughs> That's yes. ABA. That's a regiment. That's a schedule. We do these things. Now, I'm not pushing any therapy on anybody. You can do whatever you want, but I'm just explaining it in the context of um, being a person of color and knowing that what my son, what my son does, is different from what your son can do. <laughs> and I tell people that all the time. And so I want. I especially want people to be mindful of that. So, so as my um, nonprofit has progressed, my views have sort of changed in regards to uh, recommending therapy. I can only explain it to you. You know, I try to explain it to you and let you decide. And then also too, I kind of steered away from what I like to call my own personal selfishness because there was things that I wanted for my son. I need you to talk. I need you to talk. That was stressing him out. All this therapy and just, I need you because I wanted it, you uh-huh. know, and he couldn't tell me what he wanted, but I'm sure he wanted me to leave him the heck alone, uh-huh. uh, you know, and I had to kind of like step back and realize that as he got older, and, and this is what I'll tell any parent with a younger child, I know it's hard. Like, it's really hard. Um, and some some days you won't get a lot of sleep. So. But I think that parents need to better prepare themselves, which is why with my organization, we do parent trainings. And we train parents 
Um, it's a six-week training. And what we do, you have to come for the whole six weeks. You can't drop in for potty training and mm -hmm. dip out. You can't drop in for transitions and dip out. You got to take the full six weeks. The reason you do is because I want you to be able to go out into your community and replicate everything that you learn so you can help somebody else. So I'm building peer support um, within my six-week training. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really really important. So um, yeah, again, I just want to make situations um, better for families and underserved communities. And you know, now with the way that the world is going, underserved is like, it's everything. Like you could be broke and underserved. I mean, it kind of like, you know, it's just that in the black community, I think that it's been really hard over the years because you have to get people to recognize it and sometimes I hear people say, well, we don't have that in our family. And then I have to tell them, I have to deliver the bad news. Did you have an uncle that lived with your grandmother that lived in a back room somewhere or in a basement? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then when grandma died, did somebody else get him? Yeah. That was the person that had autism. Mm -hmm. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, <laughs> like, oh. And then they recognize it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to give them something that they they can relate to um, so that they can realize that that's that person. But just getting back to um, what I was saying about children, it's important that we parents, right? We do. Now, granted, there's some things you do need for your children to do. Like, you don't need them walking out in the street. <laughs> you, you do need them to do certain things, Okay. So I'm not saying just let your children roam free. But what I am saying is that as they get older and they are able to, to articulate their likes and dislikes to you, you have to remember that what you want is less important than what they want for themselves. And you have to be mindful of how you talk to them in regards to the framework of what you say. Like you never want them to, to think, well, you can't tie your shoes, so that's useless. No. Just say, well, we haven't learned how to tie our shoes yet. You can't ride a bike. Oh, we haven't learned that yet. We'll figure mm -hmm. it out. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's a lot of adults that don't know how to ride a bike. So it's not that big of a deal if you don't know how to ride a bike. Um, you want to be able to build self-efficacy and good self-esteem in your children. And it's especially important for African-American children. And, you know, if, if the kids in the, out in public stemming, which I have a funny story about that because Ari will be out in public stemming. And then if a girl passes by, like he'll be like this. And then the girl passes by, he's like, I said, she didn't see it. She didn't see it. And then he looks at me and he goes, I go, she didn't see it. He's a smart kid. It, it's all good. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. And, um, yeah, and that's basically because if that's what he needs to do, that's what he needs to do. I mean, mm -hmm. if that makes him feel comfortable, fine. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about all the things that, if you just think about things like the kid in school that bit the pencil, bit the erasers, bit this, bit that, that was just all self-stimulation. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. what happens. Yeah, and I, I've, I think Sarah and I have had those conversations before as we watch our kiddos get older um, and talk about like, I remember that kid in class who did 
whatever. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of wonder, you know, did could he or she have been diagnosed with autism at the time? Mm-hmm. And we just, we just never talked about it. It just wasn't anything. Um, and I'm a mental health therapist, and I, I have distinct memories. I've been in therapy, the mental health world, since 2000. And Finn was diagnosed in 2014 with autism. But even right up until his diagnosis, you know, I didn't even have a really great grasp on what it meant to be autistic and what autism looked like in somebody. So, you know, and I'm I'm in the therapy world. You know, I feel like I should have known these things. It's coming, though. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I, I it really resonates with me with you talking about like, yeah, you know, you oh, it isn't in our family. Well, there was probably the person who had it and it was just something that really wasn't spoken about or maybe we didn't know because you gotta think about it autism hasn't really been prevalent um that prevalent except for like the past 15 years or so i mean late the label the naming it the calling it what it is it you know i remember the only kid that i knew that had autism or when i even heard the word autism was sylvester stallone's son that's the only time i'd ever heard about autism yes um, and then progressively, you know, as time passed, I, you, you, you hear these words and then you see some of the things that are associated with behaviors. And then, like I said, I, I, I knew what it was. So I thought that getting a diagnosis would make me feel better because I was stuck on me, <laughs> on my needs, but it, it didn't necessarily make me feel better. It just had to, I had to work harder, you know, for Ari. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you spoke a little bit about um, uh, kind of the isolation in some of the articles that you had, had posted. Oh, yeah. Um, and you said when you were seeking support groups on the outside, most of the people didn't look like you. And yeah. so they didn't understand some of the situations that your child could be in because their child would never have to experience that anything in addition or anything else that stood out to you um, besides like the law enforcement piece of it that Ari would have to contend with possibly when he would get older? Well, I mean, for every, like, I guess that's like, that was, that was the top thing. Mm -hmm. That was like the top thing. And then, also, too, um, you think in terms of bullies, you mm. know, because what if you can't handle yourself? How are you, you know, you're going to get bullied? Um, and, and, you know, that fear doesn't go away. Um, my son's going to high school next year. Oh, my goodness. And I just told them in a really nice way that no one ever wants to see me. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Cause you know what? I don't even, I just don't have, I'm not here for it. Okay. Like Mm -hmm. if somebody touches him, I have the most interesting village. Like my best friend is like you and me, her and everybody. Oh, hi. So nice to meet you, sweetheart. She's just so nice. But if you say someone did to Ari, all of a sudden she's, she's, she's turned into like, I don't know. She just gets real. (laughs) She gets real, real quick. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, she just like I, so, and and that's the thing. I don't really have time to have these conversations, and I'm I'm just warning the world. I don't have time to have conversations. If your kid needs to be a bully, then either you're gonna have a conversation with me that you're not gonna like, or you need to teach them to do better. Because mm-hmm. I'm like fed up to hear with people making excuses for behaviors because mm-hmm. someone is what they deem different. So, I mean, I worry about that kind of stuff too. I mean, there's just so much to worry when you have children, period, right? So Absolutely. when you throw autism into it, you're always thinking of different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just basically said that, um, you know, if, if something happens to him, nobody wants to see me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm like, it better, no one wants to see me. And you kind of have to be like that, you mm-hmm. know? Because if there's no repercussion, see, people need to know that you're partially crazy. Because if they don't (laughs) know that. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I think it's so, you know, that mama bear in you comes out. Right. You know, every mom has that. But as an autism mom, you have just a, a smidge more because you have to be on that, you know, the defense all the time for them because they might not be able to do it themselves or you know you just you want to protect them so much more yeah and you know with my daughter I remember when she was in school and we had this horrible little couple of kids um we had this um and this really made me sad and this is why what's going on today is making me just sadder is that my daughter had written in her journal that this boy was bullying her. And she and her teacher saw this and never said anything. And I remember one day when they brought the journal, when they brought the journals home, I'm going through the journal. Oh, my feelings were really hurt when Danny threw me on the ground, because she went to mostly white school, threw me on the ground, spat on me and called me the N-word. <gasps> and her teacher didn't say anything? Do anything? And I was... There's a term that we have in our community. It's called, I was hotter than fish grease. (laughs) So I get up there and I'm like, I'm going to need somebody to talk to me about this. And they're like, well, we told them to work it out. I go, what? Excuse me? Mm -mm, mm -mm. When you, you don't, there's no work it out amongst yourself. He called her ethnic slur. Mm -hmm. And I said, so I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to call his parents and you're going to tell them to come here. And we're going to have a conversation. And I basically looked right at him and I said, I'm telling you, <laughs> telling you right now, it better never happen again. Never. Mm-hmm. I said, in fact, this was even be- before social isolation or whatever, social distancing. Mm-hmm. He better stay away from her because if he comes near her, if he looks at her sideways, I swear to you, I will be up here and it's not beyond me to kick a toddler's behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. care. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I will snatch him up, you up. Whoever wants to take the beating from me, you all can get it. And the teachers were just sitting there like, well, ma'am, I shut up. Cause you had your opportunity to do something about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so why all these years later, people are, kids are still going through this in school. 
I mean, and, and a lot of times people move to the suburbs. I mean, we've all done it. We've all moved to better schools, right? Mm-hmm. And you expect for there to be better systems in place to protect your children. And so it's very heartbreaking when you realize that you can't protect them. You know, it, it makes you really, really sad. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's just there's so much stuff to worry about. <laughs> That's all I got. Well, I and I hear about moving to better schools because that's a conversation in general in the autism community is is we talk about, you know, moving to better schools. And I often think of folks who don't have the privilege that I have or don't have the resources that I have. And I can talk about going to a better school district. Um, but there are folks that are in my autism community that can't. They they just don't have those resources or they don't have the privilege that I have. Mm-hmm. And that that kills me. That kills me. That's something that honestly I'm like, how can I do better for those folks? How can I lift them up along with me so that they have those choices? Well, I think that, you know, we get this, we see this question all the time. What are the best school districts for kids with autism? And it's the ones with the most money, honestly. And it's just, it's an example of systemic racism. You know, schools are funded by property taxes. Mm -hmm. So, of course, where the properties are the most money, they're getting the most money for the schools. Not here in Michigan. In Ohio, that's how it's funded. I'm going to stop yeah. you right here. So tell us about, the, the tell us about Michigan. Yeah, Detroit has the highest property tax. The worst supports in the schools. And um, it's funny because the, uh, it, the director, the, the executive director of special, um, no, it's called a sep- exceptional um, student she's a really great woman like she wants to make a huge difference and she basically came in because she cares about you know the kids but as much as she cares and as much stuff as she fights for for detroit public school system the problem is is that there's a not enough qualified people right Mm -hmm. um to work with children on the spectrum then you have the problem where you have 8,000 children that qualify for special education services, right? Special education services in one city district. Wow. And then you have like three speech pathologists. <laughs> for 8,000 kids? Yeah, I'm just making up that number, but it's like not even. It's probably uh, sh- more. It might be more. But when I say that, no one's ever really corrected me. No one said, oh, that's outrageous, because they know it's kind of like close to the truth. Yeah. And, and that's a problem, because autism classrooms are, I don't know if they exist. I know they call it an autism classroom. Um, I don't know, in your opinion, if 20 kids can be an autism classroom, because mm-hmm. from where I'm from, it's five to six children. Mm-hmm. But they have like it, and then they have these special education classes where you have um, autism mixed in with Down syndrome, mixed in with cerebral palsy, mixed in with profound disabilities, mm-hmm. and 
that doesn't work for a kid that's on the spectrum because he learns how he learns. So when you have the smaller ratios, like where Ari's always been in a situation where he's had one teacher and like three pair of pros and maybe five or six kids in his room, uh-huh. where you have in Detroit, that's just not a reality because uh-huh. of budget cuts. So the best way that you can help people that lived in, live in impoverished um, school districts is again, you gotta write your senators and say, hey, when when there's these millage bills and where when there's these bills that you guys are debating back and forth, that if it's going to enhance the lives of people, you need to be passing these bills. Yeah, you're the um, you're my rep for my county, but you still have to vote on the things that happen in like Cleveland. You still have to vote on the stuff that happens in you know the bad part of Columbus. You still have to, you know, vote on the stuff that happens in Toledo. So, you know, it's real simple. You kind of have to demand justice and Mm -hmm. you have to hold your vote hostage and say, listen, I'm not voting for you unless you are in my best interest. And it's in my best interest to help the community at large, not to help people that just look like me, but I want to help the community at large. Uh Yeah, very true. So... If you're, when you're hearing this, the takeaway so far is we have to get civically involved and we have to talk to our representatives. You have to, because that's the only thing that's going to work. Your voices, you know, while we talk about privilege, you guys have the privilege to tell your senators that, hey, this is what the deal is. We're not going to vote on you, vote for you, no matter what political party you are part of. If, if you want to make a difference in my life, my son's life, and other um, African-Americans' lives, we need you to get out there and canvas for us for equality, for better schools, all the things that we need to uplift us because we can't continue to walk around like none of this exists. We can't pretend like when somebody, I'm just going to make this up. Like if someone says, oh, there's a school in Cleveland and they only have five pencils. We can't pretend to act surprised because Cleveland is challenged because it's in the inner city, right? Uh uh You know, we can't act like we're so surprised. We can't act like, so like in Detroit, Detroit has undergone huge gentrification where you have um, families that have been moved out of houses and now they can't even afford to live in their own <laughs> the neighborhood that used to push the gas and drive real fast through. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> now they're like the best parts, the best parts to live in, you know? And, We're seeing uh, that a lot in Columbus, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's unfortunate, you know? And so we need people that don't, and, and it's sad because we really need, we, it's like, you, you know, the story about the Trojan horse. It was like the wooden horse they put, we need you to like be our wooden horse. <laughs> Push through the gate. Gates, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, because we do need, uh, we do need people advocate for us but to advocate for us positively and then to be there don't just talk a good game and say oh i wish the world would be a better place and then tomorrow you know or three weeks later you just forget about it and you figure it's not your problem anymore it's always going to be all of our problems racism is all of our problem Mm -hmm. yes 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 
Um, I was actually, one of my um, homework assignments that I've given myself is listening to the podcast 1619. Mm -hmm. Um, And the author, Nicole Hannah-Jones, she said, we often think of the civil rights movement as being about black rights. The civil rights movement was never just about the rights of black people. It was about making the ideas of the Constitution whole. So when you look at the laws born out of black resistance, these laws are guaranteeing rights for all Americans. Mm -hmm. Basically, every rights struggle we have seen, disability rights, gay rights, women's rights, all come from the efforts of the black civil rights struggles. It's true. It's true. And um, it's funny that you said that because I also, that's part of history, you know? And I say this, and, and, and I think you ladies will get it, but a lot of people don't understand it. Black history is not like a month in February. It's like all the time. And I think that black history mm-hmm. is American history and it needs to be taught in the schools. And someone goes, well, why? I go, okay, so let me give you a few hundred examples. Um, the reason when we're out on the street and we're driving and we don't hit each other is because a black man <laughs> created the, you know, the uh, uh, traffic light, you know, just so you know. Um, the reason when we go to the hospital um, and if we get into a bad accident and we don't bleed out is because a black man uh, created plasma, so they had a way of storing and, pro- you know, like these are things that people need to know because I think when you make us equal, because we are, but I mean, when you make us equal in books, then people won't look at us like we're inferior, like they can do whatever. I mean, Martin Luther King was a great man, but there were so many Martin Luther Kings, you know? He was the person who was able to move the agenda forward, but there were a lot of people just like him who, you know, were just, who were passionate. You know, and so I don't want someone in February to give me a lot of Martin Luther King quotes because as great as he was, you need to be able to tell me some other stuff. Right. Like, you know, so those things are really, really important. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my best friend, (laughs) she was ridiculous. Uh, Her. (laughs) <laughs> I do this because I I can't even tell it with a straight face. So she is a scientist, right? And she and she's a scientist and she used to work for NASA. And she's a scientist because she had a crush on George Washington Carver. And so <laughs> <laughs> totally ridiculous. But the point is, is that He was her inspiration to become a scientist, you know? And so we need to have, and she's African-American, but let's just say when you incorporate historical facts into our our, um, education system, you know, hey, there could be another kid that wants to be George Washington Carver, the next scientist inventor of 9,000 things that you can do with peanuts. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, Mm -hmm. because besides Mm -hmm. making peanut butter, he had patents with Edison and he was a very well-respected scientist, you know? Right, right, yeah. yeah I, that's 100% I, true. You know, kids see 
um, representation matters, right? So if you see, oh, this there's a successful, you know, I can be like that person. It's the same with, oh, that person has autism and they were able to go to college and be what they wanted to be. Like, it really matters that you see those those just successes. Keep the fix that part. (laughs) (laughs) Well, talk to us for a minute. That's our sound guy. (laughs) I was perusing your your Facebook page and you put together a global summit on the coronavirus on COVID-19 and autism. Mm -hmm. Um, The panelists included people from Nigeria, the UK, Liberia, the USA, Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, I I was just in kind of awe of that. what was kind of the the main things that you were kind of covering in that? And what were some of the takeaways that you um, learned from that, that maybe your audience got to hear from that panel discussion? Well, um, that was part of a series. And you know what? Um, On the Facebook page, there's another link uh, that I messed up because I didn't Facebook live it because I made a mistake and hit the wrong button, but we won't talk about music. Um, (laughs) um, It was part of a series um, and it was a global. So it's really important when we talk about autism and what we um, people of color call the diaspora because it's important because uh, gosh, it, like we're all common. We all have heavy melanin in our skin and we all have the same common problems. But how do the countries we live in handle it, right? Mm-hmm. So one good example is like Nigeria, where I go, um, typically I go once a year to facilitate an autism conference. So the autism conference is sponsored by GT Bank and it's Africa's largest bank. And we have about 2,000 attendees over two days. Wow. Two, yeah, and I think one, the first year I went, I think it was, I don't know, two to 3,000 people. And then there's thirty six to 40,000 streams of it. Wow. 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 And um, you can go on, like, YouTube and put in GT Bank Autism Conference, and you'll see, like, clips and parts of it. And so after the conference, we do a clinic, and there's, like, a six-day clinic where it's, like, speed dating horrible speed dating <laughs> because people don't have resources right so nigeria is, is is interesting to me because i don't in my opinion i don't feel that there's a middle class you either have money or you don't but it's you know there's there's no middle class in my opinion what we would consider middle class you know what i mean anywho um you see that we have speech pathologists ot's audiologists you know everything that you may need to get your your real quick five minute assessment. Well, we see about 600 people over those six days. (laughs) And um, while I'm there, of course, I'm not a therapist. So I'm more like the the, um, traffic monitor. Uh I start talking to parents, right? And they're talking to me and they're telling me about stuff that they've learned to do with their kids on YouTube. And it's not even necessarily bad stuff some of it is like okay you don't want to do that but then you have people who are like look it's look at this rapid whatever i learned how to do <laughs> look at this this is floor time i learned how to do this 
You know, and this is kind of amazing to me because I think about it. We're in a world where we, some of us have insurance coverage. Some states have waivers for autism. But what do a lot of people do when they don't have coverage? They just kind of give up, right? Mm-hmm. And then you got people in a place that's less fortunate than us. They're on YouTube. People who literally lose power between 6 and 10 o'clock at night. They have these rolling, what I call rolling blackouts. <laughs> they lose power. Yeah. Who got flashlights like this looking at YouTube. <laughs> I'm like, wow. wow. So what led me to that is so that I wanted to showcase these individuals. You know, my friend like Mrs. Akane, who has Patrick's Speech and Language Center, because she founded a school because her son, Patrick, um, had autism. And we share similar stories. Like I walked away from a very high paying job just to kind of sit there and be hanging out with Ari because I didn't have anyone to watch him. Hers was a little bit different. She walked away from a job in banking and she created a school Mm -hmm. so that children could develop skills and, you know, get the therapeutic treatments that they need. And so she's one of me a thousand times, because when I tell you, here's a lady who was a banker who's taken every type of therapeutic, whatever you got, she's taking it. And she has degrees all over her wall because she's that serious about not just helping her son, who, by the way, is now in a master's program. Wow. Um, at um, University of Georgia. So I wanted just, I wanted people here in the States and people all over the world that we're, we're, um, you know, we all have the same common concerns. You know, it's not different. It's not any worse or any better, but we're here for each other. And I think it's important for people to see global people that look like them that are experiencing some of the same, you know, trying times so to speak Uh Uh because even like right now we're going through um black lives matter and in nigeria they're going through a thing where young girls are getting raped wow so they have their own movement currently in nigeria and they're still concerned with us here and they're still hashtag black lives matter hashtag rapes are you know they and they're still concerned about us Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's part of the reason why I did it. Um, the first, uh, the first webinar, I would like for you to go back on the Facebook page and see if you can find the link. It's good because I'm going to tell you something. There's a friend of mine. Her name is Aneka. She's in Nigeria. She's very passionate and she's really smart. And one of the things that she talks about is like when she would go to different villages and they would have people there talking about autism. Um, so in Nigeria, like, I don't know if I'm, I'm maybe assuming most people speak English, right? So, but that's because they have a lot of different dialects, right? And she would talk about how they would, people would go into like different villages speaking in English and the people would just be like, mm-hmm. what, what? Because they didn't <laughs> understand. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I equate this to the same situation that we have here. Aneka said, you need to speak in the vernacular of the people that you're dealing with. And I think mm-hmm. that's what's missing here with autism. No one's really speaking in the vernacular of the African-American community to, to get them on board with um, getting early intervention, uh, so many other things. 
And so I think that there's so many ways that our country as a whole kind of fails people who, who aren't the majority. And that's exactly what we're going through now, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what a, like, what a succinct and like summarizing way to put it is that you have to speak our language in the black community so that we get this so that it translates to us. Yeah. And that, I mean, just, just you saying that I'm like, yes, why, why aren't we doing that more? You know, what, what's stopping us from being able to do that? And my guess is I'm not entirely educated on this, but my theory is it's likely because there aren't a lot of people of color in those places that make those kinds of decisions. My guess is if you would look at places like autism speaks, you know, there's, I would guess there's not a lot of people of color in those decision-making. And you know what is weird that, that they're becoming different, but the problem is, is that they've ostracized themselves to the point where nobody wants to listen to them. It's just yes. like, no matter what they do, even when they try and do something good, nobody really wants to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that they're still kind of lopsided on, on, in the research part of things, you know, even though they kind of stepped away from it, even though there's new leadership, um, it's hard to come back from uh, being the villain, you know, it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard. But I'll tell you something, even here in Michigan, we have a nonprofit, I'm not going to say their name, we have a nonprofit that pretty much, uh, they have the most notoriety and they're so tone deaf and they've been tone deaf for years. They, they don't do anything in the inner city that's useful. Um, they have a billboard in the middle of Detroit with a little fat white baby doing this with his hands covering his ears. And then it goes, we're here for you. Well, who the heck are you here for? That little fat white baby? Because uh, there's not many of those. So, there like, right so, oh he has autism that's what we're supposed to think all fat little white babies have autism great one I mean, <laughs> like, like you don't have enough respect for a community to at least use marketing that's indicative of them so they can right. see themselves you know um so they can see themselves and say oh maybe this is something i need to act on because i'm telling you when someone doesn't know any better and they look up at that thing and they don't see anybody they recognize they say oh maybe this is for the commuters going back and forth downtown to work they don't think it's Mm -hmm. for them Mm -hmm. absolutely (laughs) that makes complete sense it does but no one you know people think i'm just being me like you know someone said oh she's just being mean no i'm not being mean i just need you not to be stupid I (laughs) (laughs) I i just need you not to be stupid you know, right. I was sitting in a meeting where this lady literally named every ethnicity that they help. And when you have to name your friends of color, when your friends of color stop being, you know, Jessica and Mary and turn into, I know we did something for the blacks, the Jewish. And my friend was like, did she just say the Jewish? I said she did. <laughs> the Arabs. <laughs> the Indians and she was just naming off every race she race or religion she could name and I was just I was just sitting there and I go yes see see why I don't like these people Uh Uh, you see why Uh because it makes no sense you know and I feel like but I also feel on the flip side of things the African-American community um 
we share some of the blame too because when you have a large organization approaching you asking you to walk for them you know walk for our walk and they go we'll give you a t-shirt and free admission to the zoo well they're not walking into your neighborhood at night when your son is up in the middle of the night <laughs> roaming around they're not walking in your neighborhood when your son is injuring himself because he has so much anxiety and they're not walking in your neighborhood when your son is at is such a bad state that you can't even handle them anymore so instead of taking their free t-shirt their hot dog their superhero their face paints and all that other crap why don't you tell them to give you something tangible and something tangible would be good therapeutic services and supports could perhaps could you do a scholarship fund and help us get some of the things that aren't covered by the autism waiver but that's just just they don't want to do it because they get so excited about getting a ticket to see an autism sensory friendly movie and i'm like you know um i remember uh kind of kind of kind of taking a curve here i remember when i um would apply for grants right and i remember my favorite thing was just to basically say i just give me some money and i just had no <laughs> so i didn't know how that world worked right so it wasn't until someone finally because and they said well what are you going to do with the money oh i'm going to help families with autism in a black community what are you going to give them i'm going to help them i'm going to yeah that's what i need that money for that's <laughs> what i just said <laughs> so i had to learn a few things right i had to learn and nobody's gonna fund you if you don't do anything that can be replicated like if it's not gonna make a difference now let me be clear there's things that some people can because it kind of goes with privilege like some of these larger organizations they can just make up some and throw it out there and be like okay but you have to have something that's, repli that's replicatable. You also have to have something that's really gonna make a difference in the lives of others, right? Uh -huh. And so you can't, like I, I had a conversation with a lady who has a nonprofit and she was writing a grant and she was writing a grant so she could give out gift cards for food. And I said, and she has an autism foundation. And I said, I wouldn't write that grant for food because there's a lot of nonprofits to deal with food inequity uh -huh. right i also wouldn't write a grant for that because i had to learn the hard way you need something that you can measure right uh -huh. if you give people gift cards who's not to say and i'm not saying people would who's not to say they're not going to go to target or to kroger or meyer right uh -huh. and buy alcohol how do you know that they're going to apply the money that you just handed? You just, you said, here's this gift card. There you go. It's going to make your life better. Uh -huh. So instead of doing that, you need to start developing programs, um, whether it be a parent training program or um, something like that. Like nobody's going to fund an after school program um, where you just have a bunch of kids sitting in a room rocking and moaning. And I'm not saying that to be cruel, but a lot of our kids do that. But let's give them something to do. Uh-huh. You know, uh -huh. let's give them something that'll, you know, um, build their self-esteem and build their efficacy. Why can't you? I mean, I just, you know, don't think babysitting is something that's going to benefit. It is going to benefit that parent. But we got to talk. We're, we're talking about people, right? 
Mm-hmm. We're not talking mm-hmm. about, oh, yeah, those unfortunate people are from Ohio. <laughs> We're not talking about pets. <laughs> you just <laughs> off somewhere. You know what people I'm talking about, right? Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something else that we need to talk about, but we haven't yeah, we can, had the spoons you know, to deal with. Yeah, for yet. that conversation. Just, <laughs> just have me back for that one because I just Ooh. I feel no sympathy for that, those people. None, mm. none mm-hmm. with all of their monetization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice house they got. Mm-hmm. Somebody just take it all away. <laughs> I agree. 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 One more kind of final thing. Um, I noticed also on your Facebook page, there are Sunday services that you have. Did I get that right? Yeah. Well, okay. So I'm not particularly very religious, but we have COVID. And then we also have the cancellation of 2020 because it's a hot mess. So it's, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> how, how do I RSVP immediately? Because I am 100% on board with that. Let it go. <laughs> and, and we haven't had it recently because it's become so overwhelming for everybody. So I have a really good friend who actually helped me on my journey. Her name is Jerry Turner Bright. And when my son was smaller, she was a person that really inspired me and helped me get through the journey. For instance, you know how parents, again, we get fixated on mainstreaming. I want, I didn't want my son in an autism class because he's going to do what those other kids do. And he doesn't do that, like, because my kid was better than every other kid. <laughs> he was better than every kid in that old school. And she had to pull me to the side and say, um, Camille, no. <laughs> he's in an <laughs> autism class. And this is why. You know, she had to tell me stuff that I didn't know because I was like, I don't want him in there doing that. <laughs> it was funny. I was, because I, you know, as you can tell, I'm ridiculous. But <laughs> now Gary is, she's a minister now. When we met, she wasn't a minister, but now she's a minister. And then we have my friend Kim Kaiser, who's had 30 years of mental health experience. And then her son is on the spectrum. He's the same age as Ari, they're both 14. So I came up with the concept that everybody is so overwhelmed, right? We got COVID-19, we're in isolation, we're um, teachers, you know, stuff like that. I don't know about you ladies, but I suspended, my student has been suspended from his imaginary school about 12 times. Um, (laughs) Yes, very true. We're tired, right? (laughs) We are tired. I just tried to think of a way to kind of make people feel better. Um, and I realized for those people who are of faith, it would be a good idea to have someone come in and talk about, um, just, you know, we're going through isolation and COVID talk about, um, as Jerry puts it, we're undaunting just things to make people feel better. And so we have Jerry to really kind of carry out the religious part of it, you know, the prayer and then, um, using, um, Bible verse in regards to some of the things that we go through as parents. And then we have Kim start talk that talks about the mindfulness, um, just giving out techniques on mindfulness. So that's what the Sunday service is all about. But um, right now we're, and, we're all kind of like this because so much stuff has happened. Yeah, <laughs> we're all is. like, yeah. That sounds incredible have, though. 
It does. Did you have um, like responses to that in terms of like, had you heard back from people about oh, yeah, people kind of how they received it. it? People really liked it. You know, the problem is with Zoom, um, we would have it in Zoom and then I would live cast it on Facebook. And the reason we do Zoom is, again, you know why you do Zoom, because you don't want people just coming in your room act cutting up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm here. But, um, <laughs> so um, we've had good responses. And a lot of parents said this made me feel so much better. I, feel, I was really inspired um, by these ladies. And thank you so much for doing this. And, and then when we didn't do them, when we stopped, they're like, well, what happened to that? Like this. Well, she's actually a, a mom friend of mine, I'll call her, and her name is Danielle. And she was like, I didn't have anything to do this weekend because you, <laughs> you didn't have a webinar, you didn't have a service, you didn't have anything. And I'm like, I'm tired. I'm so tired. There are so many things. It's just a lot now. It's a lot. Yeah. So, you know, and now I'm doing another webinar next um, Wednesday. So, and that's the address, you know, that Black Autistic Lives Matter. So mm-hmm. that's really important because, again, you know, people, people, eh, they take things for granted. And if you don't, if you don't see it, it doesn't exist, right? Right. And so now we get to see all kind of inequities and terrible things happening to people. And now it's a thing. But I don't want it to be a thing. I just want, I don't want it to be a harsh reality. But what I'd like for people to do is to, to, to keep this level of concern and keep it going, you know? So um, next Wednesday at seven, we'll talk about that. And Rick, um, you know, the guests are to be determined. I mean, in regards to who's gonna speak, but right now, the only thing I have in mind is just having um, some moms, some dads, you know, just kind of talk about what's going on, what they see, how they feel. And I think it's important to just let people talk. You know, I agree. I'm going to try and keep it as orderly as possible, but I think it's really important for people to talk because nobody really asked us um, how we feel. People just assume that, you know, um, especially a person like me, you can mask anything with humor. And so they just think that you're okay. Um, and it's not so much that I'm always okay, it's just that so much crap has happened that at this point crying doesn't really help so you just right. kind of got <laughs> yeah right it's a defense mechanism it I, yeah it really is it's a it's a defense mechanism that you develop because i mean i've seen a lot of black people get killed for no reason it's just like really i a lot for no reason and i've seen it on television and for the past 10 years we've continued to see it and now all of a sudden we're all concerned mm-hmm. it's like really mm-hmm. you know we didn't have cameras, um, you know, prevalent 15 years ago and they were doing it. And it's like, and then you think about it, even when it's recorded, do people get prosecuted? Nope. You know, when the, um, when the kid down in Miami, I think Miami Dade, when he um, went out to the middle of the street to play with his little truck, you know, he was a grown up and he was playing with the truck when his aide went to get him out of the street. Oh, Yes. Yes, his I black remember that got story. Shot. <laughs> yes, you oh know? my gosh. Yes, and his the cop that shot him, no repercussions. Mm-hmm. He was off of mm-hmm. paid leave. So you know, those are the types of things that you just kind of have to go. So I'm I'm grateful to both of you. I'm grateful for Sarah to reach reaching out to me, and I'm grateful 
I'm grateful that I'm now able to meet Tara. And I think that both of you will help your African-American brothers and sisters. I think that you will do that. I don't think that this is just something that you say today. Oh, gee, it's so terrible. I think that you'll take some of my advice and say, hey, you know, what can we do? What what policies? And I think that what you need to do is sit down, have a coffee talk, you know, and say and, and take a look around at what policies are floating around and what things can we do to support you better uh, from a policy standpoint? Because, again, there's power in numbers and you all outnumber us in America. So <laughs> if we take you and add it to our marginalized selves, we become a bigger majority. And I think that yes. that's the only way things are going to change. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You've definitely given us a lot of great advice, a lot of great um, input. You know, me and Tara definitely have a platform where we can go find these are the people you call. These are the people you email. This is you know, the policy that's being voted on, like, these are things that you can do to change not only, you know, the lives of our, our black, you know, friends and fellow citizens, but also our, our disabled, obviously, we're advocates for the disabled community. Absolutely. You got to advocate for them too. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I think that that's a really, a really good place to start. And I'm really thankful for you for talking with us and letting us know how we can help. Oh, it was, it was my pleasure to um, be ridiculous with you all. <laughs> and you're also just, you're um, you know. incredible. Like you're amazing. Like I'm just sitting here, like I'm very rarely lost for words, but I'm just like, this lady is amazing. And I'm just, I'm sitting here in your presence and absorbing so much of your awesomeness and I feel more awesome and now I'm out of words and I'm just going to keep saying the same one listen hey I think that you guys are great I think that what you're doing is great and I and you know you can't so you can't learn how to be better people okay like let me put it in this scenario you can't learn how to swim if you don't stick your feet in the pool so at least Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least you guys have jumped in the pool which Mm -hmm. is better than sticking your feet in the pool Mm -hmm. you know and you will you will use your friends in the African American community to teach you how to swim through all this crap. So you'll be fine. Um, the biggest part, you've already overcome it. You're open, you know? And you're being transparent. You know, you're not like, you, I don't know if you've seen this one. Because this lady, they just kind of, dragged her through the internet like this. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you see the um, post that this lady made where she's really pretty. She's a really pretty blonde lady and she has these really pretty toe-headed kids. And they're all hugging. And she says, Black Lives Matter. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And I'm just looking at this like... <laughs> And she writes this long (laughs) post that was mostly about her kids. And I'm like, yeah, what's wrong with her? (laughs) Yeah. And it went viral. So before I could even go, what's wrong with it? It was already happening. I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? (laughs) What is wrong with you? All right. You know, I mean, like I said earlier on, when I write, I wrote a post about 
you know, how I worry about my son. I worry about my white autistic grandson. Okay, that's good for you over there, but I'm right here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, don't try to insert yourself in somebody else's movement. Right. You know, because you're not going to win. You know, you're not going to, and it's a thing that happens in the autism community. Now, one thing you don't know about me is that I'm actually from the West Indies. And um, we have this thing, like I remember um, being in some of the support groups that I would go to and it was like, oh, my son, he, um, my, 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 my son has um, celiac disease too. Well, my son doesn't even sleep. Well, my son doesn't, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, whose suffering is worse? So right, in, right. In, in Jamaica, we have this thing called my suffering is worse than yours. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, I don't have time for these people. Don't don't try to tell me that you're suffering more than me. Don't mm-hmm. try to tell me that. Because mm-hmm. I'm never going to tell a person who, you know, who's walking around with no arm that, you know, that me having two arms equates to his one arm. <laughs> you know, I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not yeah right right no you're right we hear that a lot it's um well at least your son can talk or Mm -hmm. at least you know your child can go to a regular school or at least you know you I have it so much worse than you and at the end of the day like how is that helping Mm -hmm. it's not helping anything telling me that your child still is in diapers I mean listen I have a lot of empathy for people who have severe children um, I do because I know it's not easy, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I always tell people, especially some of the self-advocates, I would say to them, you know, you, you let's start taking it a little bit easier on parents who, who talk about the things that are going on. Um, you know, especially when you have those upbeat posts of someone autistic doing something great and then you always get that one person. Well, my son will never do that. Okay, shut up. Go over there. <laughs> <laughs> Go over there. Yeah. Because... It's not that we don't care that you're suffering. It's just that let these people live. Let them live. Why can't you be happy? I know someone who has a very severe child and any anything upbeat and happy that happens in the autism community, she's posting it, she's promoting it because she's happy and she's excited for everybody, you know? Uh-huh. And so I always tell self advocates, you know, to be a little bit easier on parents because, um, you know, while they're okay, there's a parent somewhere changing a 28 year old's diaper. Yeah. And so you got to remember that parents aren't always the enemy. I mean, I understand a lot of parents kind of lose it and make you not like them, but I mean, it's really interesting moving through the world as a a parent um, of an autistic child. And then um, you add African-American onto it. I remember, uh, but, but you know, the world is wacky because I know you all have experience. Like, for instance, I had a, a little post up about I love someone who's autistic and this lady chimed in. You mean with autism, person with autism? And I go, I didn't ask you. <laughs> mm, mm. And let me tell you why. Because it goes to what you ladies want to do for me. So I say I want to be an advocate for individuals with aut- that are autistic. See, I don't say, and the best way to help them is to call them what they want to be called, mm-hmm. right? 
I can't teach them how to be like I can't teach them how to be autistic and they can't teach me how to be black. So I just right. kind of have to follow their lead. <laughs> like, right. what would you like to be referred to as? Mm -hmm. OK, that's fine. It's whatever you want. You can't, you know. <laughs> anyway, so I guess we're done here, but it, it's just <laughs> people. No, I think that's such a good point because it's that whole thing of when you know better, you do better. Right. So if you don't know, autistics prefer, you know, person first language or not prefer person. First. Okay. But once you've been told, mm -hmm. that's what you need to do. Right. 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 You know. And uplift, it, uplift that voice and let that voice be heard. You know, your, your stuff, it's not about you at that point. Right. No. I mean, if right. you want to do better, you got to listen. And like, I don't always agree with them, but they don't always agree with me. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to show people respect. And if they if they say, this is this is who I am, I'm okay with it. I'm proud to be autistic. Um, you know, this is, and if they say it's their superpower, well, dang it, it's their superpower. Don't, mm -hmm. don't sit there and go, well, my son, okay, we know your son will never levitate a table. <laughs> neither will mine. <laughs> neither will mine. Oh, right. right. You know. Well, Camille, thank you again so much for your generosity of your time with us today and being the person who kind of helped us learn to swim a little bit more. Yeah. We really appreciate it. No problem. So, Camille, Camille please come Proctor. back anytime. Yeah. We would love to have you. Yes. I'll, I'll cook you dinner like we could go to the movies like whatever i just <laughs> yeah, i want to be know. your friend now yeah and then we'll we'll talk about the people in the the rehoming on another episode of oh, uh, yes called, yeah for sure that? can you believe this that's what we're talking about <laughs> can you i love it this? thank you <laughs> yes with attitude just <laughs> Tara, we're here today to talk about can you believe this <laughs> okay all right. Okay. I love Thank it. Thanks so much. You. Thanks so much yes. for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Camille. All and right. you guys can all find Camille um, over at the Color of Autism Foundation. She's got it there on her website and on her Facebook page. And as always, um, you know, and here's we'll to the, the journey. Can we share the webinar, the Wednesday webinar? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we can share that for you. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I'm going to send you ladies a uh, flyer. And then I'm on Instagram, too, at Color of Autism. Awesome. Okay. Okay. So, as always, um, here's to the complexity in our journeys, the highs and lows, the joys and sorrows. May those who observe us do so with compassion. And just thanks so much again. We really loved having you on. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.